Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, uh, Florida won their fourth game in a row. Um, Wednesday, defeated Georgia 72-63. Gators led wire to wire, uh, but maybe a little closer than they wanted it to be. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, two weeks ago, we we're looking at this stretch and said like, hey, you've got to find a way to win these four games. Like, it's uh, it's kind of tough to be at the beginning of February slash end of January and say like, hey, here's four straight kind of must win games. But that's kind of where we were at. And uh, you kind of see like, OK, close game with Missouri, close game with Ole Miss closer game with Georgia. Uh, but, you know, really, they did get it done. So it's uh, uh, I guess they got through unscathed, um, maybe not in terms of, of perception from all of us. But, uh, uh, hey, they're able to get this Georgia win. Um, maybe it's different if Myron Jones doesn't heat up. We'll get to that, certainly. Um, but, yeah, I would say that, like, yeah, probably uh, the final score did not indicate uh, how the game kind of went. Yeah, second, uh, well, in this four-game winning streak, Florida's Ken Palm rating has gone down. Their Bart Torvik rating has gone down. Uh, their net rating has pretty much stayed where it was. Uh, I think it went up a little bit and then went back down. Um, in, in any event, it hasn't improved markedly. Uh, so it's kind of like just treading water but not taking any of those resume-crushing defeats. Um, but they did get the victory here. And I, I want to start with offense. And before we get to Myron Jones, ask you whether you thought this was an improvement on what we saw in the game where Castleton had returned, or you still have concerns admitting that Castleton is an excellent player uh, with the way that Florida is trying to run through him. Yeah, again, I, I kind of like felt like I had to add some some caveats on the other podcast talking about it because it's it's again, it's not a problem with how Castleton um, played when he got the ball in his hands. It's just like there's a reason we see less post-ups all around basketball in the hole. And it's because it's, it's not just the points per possession when that post player gets the ball. It's the opportunity cost of, hey, with Colin Castleton posting up on the strong side, there's not a driving lane for, for Tyree Appleby, not a driving lane for... Um, you know, for Flanders Fleming. So uh, I thought that that was pretty stagnant um, against Ole Miss. And, you know, I did think their offense was a little bit better and they balanced getting it into Castleton a little bit more. Um, and of course, getting getting guys like Myron Jones. Like, again, there's the one game where Myron Jones, they run him off, you know, eight or nine floppy actions, running him off screens, and then we don't see it at all against Ole Miss. Um, it's like, okay, well, we saw it back again against Georgia. And uh, I think that kind of added some some variation um, to the offense as well. And uh, so I would say still definitely some improvement as they you know try to balance exactly how much and how they want to use Colin Gaston. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, one thing that did return in this game were a couple of Florida Florida had a, had some really nice uh, baseline out of bounds plays. Um, and really kind of simple stuff where Colin Castleton set really nice screens and and uh, Myron Jones was able to knock down a couple corner threes. Yeah, that was big. And and again, that's something that's like, obviously, like Mike White has the blob god nickname. And, you know, for a reason, a couple of years ago, I mean, that would seem to be the only way it seemed like, like Florida could score. Um, but actually, like, if you look at the last two years, um, well, two and a half, really, like they've, they've kind of gone away from a lot of those actions. And, um, again, I, I, I don't, I don't even blame white for that. Um, like, it's so funny, like against Ole Miss, when they went two, three, they scored, um, a wide open catch and shoot three on the same play that he's ran every single year since his first year in Gainesville. And it's just hilarious to me every time that it works. And I love it so much. Um, it's an incredible, simple play, but it's just like, crazy to me that like these teams should know if they're going to go two, three baseline out of bounds, like it's coming and somehow they don't. Um, so with the caveat of that, um, I, I do think it's just tough to always be good at baseline out of bounds plays because teams are just too good at scouting. Like you look at Auburn, especially that's one that really like just really jumps out at me um, because you could hear when they played the Gators, not just this year, but the year prior and actually even the year um, prior to that, Neil, um, at that, you know, when they beat, when the Gators beat, you know, number four ranked Auburn with us in the building, you could hear, Bruce Pearl um, from the bench calling out what Florida was going to run based off how they align. And that's not a problem with what Florida was doing. That's just like, if you scout well, it's uh, 
it's it's something that you know the you shouldn't be able to get all these open buckets that the Gators got the last couple of years. So um with that being said, the Gators have kind of gone away from all their like quick hitter, easy score baseline out of bounds. I think a lot of it is credit to um opposing teams in the SEC that are just really well scouted. And instead the Gators have just, you know, gotten the ball in and gotten to their offense. But man, it's nice when you can still go into that bag of tricks and 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 get an open bucket, especially again when your offense is not, you know, super crisp. Yeah, and Myron Jones, 7 of 11 uh, from deep. As it turned out, he um, matches uh, the feat accomplished by Kayvon Allen and Noah Locke uh, in 2019. Uh, Kayvon actually made eight, which is the school record for threes in the game. Um, and that was an 8 of 10 performance for Kayvon <laughs> against Texas A&M in 2019. But, but Jones goes 7 of 11. Um, has been really good the last three games. Report from Mark Long, the AP writer, that uh, Jones played through a broken finger for two months. Um, who knows if that was affecting his shot? I imagine it made it painful. Um, I don't know if it necessarily – Jones's form is funky. So I think, it, you know, we talked about before the season that he's always been a little bit streaky, but seems to be locked in now. And, and obviously huge for Florida, who was having trouble scoring in other ways. I think what I loved the most about his seven for 11 night was that it wasn't like he forced up five or six of those attempts. I thought every single one of them was, was good. And when he went to the, like, I won't call them heat checks, but one of those, like, Hey, we're, you know, he's feeling it better. Get a shot up. It was just kind of him taking one or two bounces to his left. And like we've talked about ever since he committed to the Gators, because he's got that slingshot motion where he brings the ball from the left side of his body. He's always going to struggle shooting when he goes to his right, but he's always going to have a lot of rhythm when dribbling to his left. Um, again, just a scouting thing that I'm really surprised that a team like Georgia didn't pick up, but uh, to let him continually just, you know, rock to his left and, and pull up. But, but generally speaking, just the fact that they got 11 looks from Jones that, you know, I was pretty happy with every single one of those looks. Um, that's pretty big. And, you know, like, don't look now, but here's Myron Jones, who, of course, has had some pretty cold stretches, and he's now shooting 35% from three on the year. And I, I always think, like, again, ever since he committed, we were like, okay, he's a 40% three-point shooter, but it's not always going to feel like it because right. he's going to have these streaks where – you know, he does go, you know, one for 11 over the course of three games. And um, of course, those stretches went far longer than, you know, I would have predicted. I, I think it's for you as well, Neil. I don't think we thought he would be like, you know, this like, like, again, just looking at the sample size of his career. It's usually really good game here. You know, bad game, really good game, you know, not great game, not great game, then two really good games in a row. That's just kind of the nature of what it's been. It hasn't really been like, you know, multiple weeks in a row, but um, hey, we're still kind of seeing that he might creep into like, just like he's done the last two years, where it's like somehow he's just like found a way to shoot 40% from three. Um, well, now after having, you know, some really putrid stretches, he's up to 35% because he's gotten really hot. And if he comes out and hits, you know, three of five and four of nine in the next two games he'll he'll be you know close to that number so uh a, a bit of a different streakiness than we expected but it is still you know streakiness that we did expect just in a yeah slightly different way yeah 20 he was at 29.8 percent entering the oklahoma state game so um you know it, it's definitely i don't know if you can revert to the mean but he's getting uh, he, he's trying to head that direction um and that's that's a good thing florida I thought, well, let's talk a little bit about just what else happened offensively. Second straight game and third time in four games, believe it or not, that Tyree Appleby scored every single one of his points in the second half. Do you think there's a reason for that or just a weird coincidence? Uh, I'm going to say largely it's just pretty predictable when you look at Florida's play call data from the first half to the second half. Again, first half, it's like, it's like, let's, it, it, they honestly look like an SEC football team where it's like, let's establish the run. Like that is what they're doing. Like you look <laughs> at the play call. It's like, yeah, let's, let's feed the big man. Um, And that's that again, it's just one of those things that like, so I guess, I guess the other, then the next conversation would be like, is that something Florida is doing intentionally versus unintentionally to say like, Hey, we want to run it through Castleton a whole bunch. And then in the second half, let, let Tyree cook. Um, I would say maybe, I don't know. That, that wouldn't be my working theory, but it could be the working theory of someone listening or maybe even you, Neil. Um, but it's it's just pretty clear that that looking at these games, it's been the first half has been so much posting up and the second half has been more pick and roll um, and and like flip step plays for, for Tyree Appleby. Um, I, I really do truly think like, again, Tyree Appleby has been in college for five years. You could just like, 
see looking at all his stats, even in his time at Florida, he's always up for the big games. He's always up for the big moments. And I really do think there is some of that X factor to him that when um, the games do get into the bigger minutes, he's just like kind of coming alive. Um, but you're definitely seeing just like, you, you, you know, we can talk the X factor. We can talk the intangibles of, of, of Tyree Appleby very clearly being kind of like a big game player. But um, you can also see just very functionally, it's like the Gators are like, you know, let's pound it inside to Castleton. And when teams start to, you know, figure that out, it's like, okay, we go to the different things and that's uh, Tyree Appleby. And I, I think you also see it again in the last couple minutes of games. You're always going to see like, you know, whistles are tougher to come by. Um, and at that point you need guys who can make shots. And and uh, that's why you put the ball in the hand of your, of your shot maker. And that's why I think that shot makers are so important to modern basketball. But um, yeah, that'd be my response. I'm curious uh, what you're seeing, Neil. Yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of the same things. I was just surprised in this game because I didn't think Georgia had any real matchup for, for Tyree, like his quickness, Georgia's guards aren't really explosive type fast guards. Um, you know, they're more physical, or uh, in the case of a guy like Noah Bauman, just kind of a big shooter. Um, so, you know, it was a little bit surprising to me that Florida wasn't more pick and roll reliant um, in the first half or maybe trying to get Appleby downhill where he could distribute uh, in the first half. Just not as much of that. Like you said, just kind of feed the post, see if Colin can work on uh, Braylon Briggs um, a little bit. And I just thought that might have been – it was a curious approach, but – Fortunately for Florida, um, on the defensive side, they were able to force a lot of turnovers and, and get some more easy buckets in the first half. Yeah, that's always going to be pretty big for, for the Gators because, again, their offense, yeah, maybe looked a little bit better against Georgia, but still was uh... – uh, you know, not, not fantastic, but you definitely still saw, um, still saw them be pretty active, like Flanders Fleming, the way that he came up with steals, just kind of digging the ball out of the post. I thought it was a really good game for him. That was just like, um, not huge numbers, you know, missed some free throws. Um, you'd love to see him make, but kind of generally speaking, I thought he played a, played a pretty good basketball game. And, uh, I, the Gators did have some, some nice moments running out, which has not been the case. They've been, you know, really struggling from, um, you know, in, in transition, um, something you kind of had uh, mentioned actually in a piece for Saturday down South, uh, recently that everyone should check out. Um, and maybe you could plug and, and, and talk about, um, but, uh, for something that like the Gators, that hasn't really been something they've able, been able to really kind of capitalize, I would say that this season, like forcing turnovers and, and scoring off them. Um, we got a little glimpse of that against Georgia. Yeah, no, we did. Uh, and I think with a, it's just been surprising all year because this is a Florida team that has turned people over, that has a high steal percentage. Um, but, you know, just another thing, if you're not good in half-court offense, it would be great if they were, you know, more <laughs> efficient in transition. And we just haven't seen enough of it. Um, and I think that does – thanks for the plug on the Saturday Down South article. And I think a lot of it, you know, was – the big crux of my piece is – you're seven years into the white era and I'm not necessarily sure what Florida's identity is. And it's something we've discussed on the podcast repeatedly. And like, I do think that this particular team, you know, Eric has mentioned it and it's sort of the program MO, I guess, is that they play really hard and they play for each other and that the culture seems pretty healthy. Um, and that when the culture isn't healthy to Mike's credit, he, you know, kids hit the portal, right. That, that aren't great cultural fits. Um, and so I guess that's partly an identity, but in terms of schematic identity, they just don't have one. And you would think a high turnover team would be somebody that's really well schooled in their transition stuff, right? Because maybe we get turnovers and we get easy buckets that way. Some of the less good Bruce Pearl teams, that is their identity on offense. Um, and that's fine. It works for, for Bruce. It's why they've gone to the NCAA tournament most years that he's been at Auburn, right? But um, you know, Florida doesn't have that. They don't have a necessary offensive identity. And, and as you've talked about, they also do so many things offensively. I'm not really sure they're good at anything because um, they don't stick to anything. Uh, they're, they're very pragmatic in that sense. So, you know, is pragmatism good? Maybe, but I do wonder about it a little bit. And then the, as far as defensive identity, I mean, we can talk about uh, the defense, but you saw one of Florida's weaknesses defensively in this game, which is still the ability to stop straight line drivers. Now Georgia's got guys that can do it, but I mean, Okendo kind of ate and did what he wanted. 
So first of all, this is a number. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but it's kind of the it's the the Jake Winderman stat of the the week because he often asks me to fill him in on this one, and um, it's become something that I've kind of tracked and is like been shockingly very similar to this number for like a month and a half. Um, so in terms of points per possession in transition, the Gators are two hundred and fifty third in the country. And I think that that's actually a little bit up from the last time I looked last week when they were 260s, Ouch. but they've been pretty consistently in the 250s. So, um, Neil, you wrote about uh, a, a couple ways where you know they haven't been able to be as play as fast as 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 maybe White has wanted. I will also point out that uh, again, maybe there's a reason they don't, and it's just maybe because every single year going back to you know, especially everyone wanted that that Scotty Lewis team you know freshman team with Gary Blackshear to to run and it was like there was the same kind of thing where from a points per possession standpoint they were just terrible in transition so everyone wanted them to run but I yeah. you know I, I kind of understand why why they why they don't but again we're just seeing like young teams old teams athletic teams less athletic teams like no one has really been able to score efficiently in transition in the last seven years and uh they haven't done it a lot so um that's one kind of note. And, and again, so going back to what you were just saying too about the straight line drives, I mean, that, that definitely was concerning because like you've kind of talked about throughout the season, the Gators have really struggled with kind of the smaller shiftier guards. And you kind of thought, okay, you look at the kind of stubbier, you know, physical guards of, of Georgia and you're just like, okay, there's the matchup for, um, you know, where Brandon McKissick can, can really thrive and, and, and Flanders Fleming and some of these guys that aren't like elite level quick side to side, but, but are physical. And uh, yeah, that just wasn't the case. And um I, I, so you just kind of wonder, it's like, you know, for, for these guys that like, like, again, I'm not trying to not trying to be rude, but I, I think these are players themselves that really, really pride themselves on their defense. That's something that these guys have been talking about ever since they came to Florida, that they prided themselves on the defensive end. And I'm just kind of looking at some of these matchups and I'm like, what matchup are you going to thrive in if it's not the the speedier, shiftier guys, or it's not the like more, you know, North South driving physical guys. It's just like, you know, what, what matchup is, is going to work. And, you know, like, un unfortunately it looks like the matchup that's going to work is like when the Gators were playing Milwaukee and California and, and Troy earlier in the season, because that's when it's like, Oh, this team can really defend, but then they start to play teams with good guards. And, and that's, that's just not, not the case. So, um, yeah, I, I, well, I'll, I'll point this out too. I, I think in, an impressive game from, from those Georgia guards. Um, I thought they were, they were really good. And again, like, you know, Kerry Oquendo, like I, I think he's fantastic. And if Georgia continues to be the Juco of the, uh, of the sec where guys go there from there and, and transfer elsewhere in the league, that would be a guy I would, uh, I'd be certainly interested in. Sure would be, uh, you know, Florida's going to need guys that can uh, get downhill to the bucket and, create for other people. And I think Okendo can do all of that. He's a, he's a, you know what, seeing him live, he was a more clever and efficient passer than I thought he was like, he made pretty good decisions with the basketball in addition to making some circus uh, buckets. So yeah, I mean, I was, I was impressed. Georgia played like a team that's played better in the last month and, and suffered some close losses. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I don't know what'll, what will become of Tom Crean. Um, you know, they still may move on. And if I were their athletic director, I would. But uh, they are definitely playing better than their record, at least right now. Uh, but the Gators do escape with the win. And, and I think another big reason that they've been able to, to kind of weather the storm is, uh, you know, Niles Lane, again, he had a big possession late in the game where he just got a tap and forced to steal. Uh, when Georgia had a chance to, to cut into the lead, cut it back to a single possession. Um, and that was laying on baseline help, which is, I think, something you said about him on the last podcast. Like, even his help defense is better than other people's. Um, and so we've seen that Florida at 0.78 points per possession against since Lane emerged from White's doghouse in the second half of the Oklahoma State game. Obviously makes the Gators a little bit better defensively. Curious about the 17 minutes thing, especially when he had a a uh, one dribble drive and dunk, and then they proceeded to not run anything for him to do that again the rest of the game. Yeah, the best closeout attack I've seen in quite some time, uh, truthfully, the way that it rotated him and he just had an electric first step and, and got to the rim. I thought that was awesome and um, something I could use a lot more of. Um, so... 
that's just something too that I'm hoping film got whether it's the team or, or the coaches they're saying like whether it's for Niles Lane or other guys it's just like hey do you see how he um you know faked one way had a really confident first step towards the middle of the floor and and only had to take one dribble and 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 score like that is basketball um so that was a really nice basket um I thought that it was just like there was two very angry dunks like that was a very angry dunk and Kwesi Reeves also had a very angry dunk so those, yes. those guys that were very much playing with with uh with passion and those are the two guys that are kind of like I don't want to say competing for minutes, but you kind of see like the last couple of games, like even looking at this one, I think it was 20 minutes for Reeves. And like you said, 17 or 18 for lane. So it's like, those are kind of like battling for, for those spots. Obviously one is, is a far better shooter and um, one would be a better defender. Um, I don't think Kwesi Reeves would be as much of a negative defensively as Niles lane is offensively. Um, Agreed. But, but lane's defense has been truly incredible on a team that, you know, truly needs that. So um, I do think that would be interesting. Um, I just realized, you know, Neil, in this moment, I have not looked at the the data at all for, you know, points per possession on or off um, for, for Niles Lane. I, I may do that casually as we continue to talk on the podcast, but uh, uh, do you see those guys as like kind of one or the other and kind of see the, the Gators go, hey, do we want this, you know, more offensive option or defensive option? Do you, do you see lineups where you could have Kwesi Reeves at the three and Niles Lane at the two? Or um, how do you see the, those guys? Do you like, do you like them playing together? Would you, or, you know, would you like to see them kind of like different, like they've been uh, doing so far? Well, I would start thinking about it. I mean, I think if you're going to have Colin Castleton uh, and Anthony Derishi is going to continue to turn the ball over at such a prolific rate. I mean, five of Florida's 11 turnovers against Georgia were Derishi. And I'd love to say that they were great plays by Georgia, but quite literally three of his turnovers were just lazy passes to the other team. Um you know, where he's just not careful with the basketball. So maybe there is a scenario where Florida plays Tyree Appleby, Niles Lane, Kowasi Reeves, and Flan Fleming and Colin Castleton and just plays Flan at the four since he wants to back people down anyway. And he's probably still going to be posted outside the perimeter. Like that would be an interesting rotation for me um, because I do think Kowasi offsets, you know, the fact defenses have to respect him. Uh, certainly would offset some of the things that are negatives about Niles Lane. And also if you had Kowasi Reeves and Tyree Appleby on the floor, you probably have two kind of guys that can create a little bit. Uh, and then Castleton has really, really improved to his credit at recognizing doubles and passing out of them this season. And then I think Niles Lane is a pretty good ball mover from what we've seen in the last couple games. He's decisive. Uh, he's clean with the ball. He's only had one turnover in these three starts. So um, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, there's there's a scenario where if you take Anthony DeRuji out of the power forward spot, uh, you could get them both on the floor at the same time. Just going back to something you mentioned a little earlier about a steal that Niles Lane had. I also think that was a very impressive play that I don't think people realize because when an offense throws a ball like directly into the awaiting two hands of a defensive player, you just think it's an awful pass. And uh, there's been two of those that Niles Lane has picked off where you see like, he just like caught one, like a wide receiver right in front of his face with two hands. And you're just like, wow, what a, you know, what an awful pass by the offense. Um, but really, again, I think that is him being um, such a good help defender. And you act, if you kind of watch those plays back, it's because he's so savvy with where he is in, in help side, um, the kind of like baiting offenses into thinking that he can make that pass. And also just the fact that he is so, long and and quick that he just like gets to you know he closes distance quickly and, and comes away with those those steals so um just plays that i think that people were probably you know maybe not even appreciating enough not realizing that it was a really good help side play by him so um niles lane uh on off numbers um from georgia so with niles Lane on the floor the gators were at 1.15 points per possession offensively and 0.9 points per possession defensively with Niles Lane off the floor. The Gators were at 1.14 points per possession offensively and defensively 1.08 points per possession. So that was zero or sorry, that was 1.08 points per possession with Niles Lane off the floor and 0.9 points per possession with him on the floor. So that is the, uh, that is the, the Niles Lane defensive impact stat of the, of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's marked um, and continues to be a pretty significant disparity. And also, to your point, Eric, kind of a, a concerning one like Georgia, Ole Miss, these other teams without Niles Lane on the floor, just kind of doing what they want. Um, even with Colin Castleton back, uh, I think 
fairly concerning for Florida. Didn't want to get too much into other stuff um, from the Georgia game. The Gators won. Um, I thought that maybe going to two on Gat Kick in a couple of rotations was weird. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily understand that. Uh, obviously, CJ Felder just has not carved out the role that either you or I thought he would on this basketball team. He has more eligibility. So if he stays in Gainesville, one would expect that to change because um, I think he offers a lot. But uh, any, any last thoughts on that before we turn to Kentucky? Uh, just the one thing with CJ Felder, I'll continue to point out that I just find curious, um, is the fact that again, like he is played exclusively power forward. And again, you see that even when he was out there with Daruji, it was four out around Daruji. Daruji was the screen setter. It was them trying to post up Daruji and or and uh, CJ Felder was in the corner, um, you know, playing as a, you know, wing forward essentially. So while I am like disappointed with the play of, of CJ Felder, I, I still think it's like, you know, I thought he was going to be a really good option at backup or a backup center for, for Colin Castleton while also providing some minutes at the four. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty clear to me that it's like, okay, if he's your backup center, that's an above average backup center. If he's your power forward, um, he's a below average power forward. So I think he's like a good to above average center and a below average power forward. And right now he's getting played a power forward. So it's like, if that's the only role that they kind of see him in, um, then yeah, he's he's not as good. Um, he's he's not a great option, and that's why he's not getting played much. But um, again, those those two gat kick minutes the last couple of games have gone quite poorly. Um, you're about to play a Kentucky team that is going to um, rebound the ball better than anyone the Gators have seen this year or anyone in the country. Um, so that's got to concern you with gat kick out there ever, and maybe it could be the time that we see CJ Felder out there, like actually you know matching up with Ashibwe versus like Daruji in that role. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of just my my thought on Felder. I I, I think if they're going to play him power forward, I, I thought he'd have a little bit more ability there. Um, so that would be a disappointment. But I I still think with his skill set, he would be uh be a valuable player getting getting backup center minutes. But yeah, I think that's uh that's all I have I all I have from Georgia. Yeah, that's all I got too. So we will make our way quickly, like Tom Crean on five diet cokes to the Florida Kentucky game and. Uh, the Gators going to Rupp. They've won twice there under Mike White, uh, once against a very bad Kentucky team, once against a very good Kentucky team. Uh, they are going to play what I think is the best Kentucky team since the team that was in since I think their last Final Four team, which was the 40 and one team. Uh, I, I think this Kentucky team is fabulous, Eric. And it all starts with Oscar Shibway, who is averaging a Absolutely absurd. 15.9 points and 15 rebounds again. Yeah, just so you know, Neil, by the end of this podcast, you will have to uh you'll have to decide on an over-under of offensive rebounds for Oscar Shibway, which is set at I'll I'll say six and give you some push potential. He's averaging five offensive rebounds per game. So you can ruminate on that and, and give your take um whenever you'd like. But um I think with this Kentucky team as well, it's just such a different Kentucky team than uh um, than what you kind of expect. We know that recently Kentucky has been just kind of a defensive juggernaut. They're athletic, they're big, they're physical. Um, and then they've kind of gotten by offensively. Um, but this is the best offensive Kentucky team um, since the team that won the national championship. So they're kind of winning by like running really good offense and scoring on teams um, while also still being awesome defensively. But yeah, like a little bit, a little bit, you know, just a little bit less athletic and long than what they've been recently, but just so much better offensively. So it, it, it kind of looks in some ways a little bit different than the Kentucky teams of, of recent um, because they are more skilled offensively, but they're also still running the, the kind of classic Calipari stuff just with players that are more experienced and more savvy and, and more skilled. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Although, you know, kind of the straw that stirs the drink, in a lot of ways, is Ty Ty Washington, who is not older and more experienced. Um, but, you know, I was thinking, and, and I want to hear your thought on what makes Ty Ty so good for our listeners. But I did want to point out that that uh, my boy, Kellen Grady, the Davidson transfer, is kind of like one of the first transfers they've had in a while that really hit, like that has done exactly what they brought him in to do. I mean, he's shooting 44% from deep, which is just sniper stuff. And everybody knows that they're looking for him. Um, and it just doesn't seem to matter. And I think that 
makes them even more prolific, both on the offensive glass because they had defenses have to extend out uh, to account for Grady, which means they're later to recover and try to rebound. But it also means that those driving lanes are better than they've been in the last couple of years when Kentucky has had some issues shooting the three. Yeah, Kellen Grady is like the best shooter they've had there since like Jamal Murray and he's shooting better numbers than Jamal Murray. And um, as a team, Kentucky's shooting, uh, they're the best three-point shooting team since that Derek Willis, uh, Jamal Murray team that had a couple knockdown guys. So once again, if you're looking for how does this team kind of look different than, than your normal Kentucky team, it's like, well, they they can they can shoot it pretty well. Not a not a amazing shooting team, um, but still a really good shooting team. And that's just not what we've come to expect from Kentucky, who's had a couple games against the Gators in recent years where they've had single-digit three-point attempts. Um, but Ty Ty Washington, like you mentioned, uh, he's kind of the guard that works the best in, in John Calipari's um, dribble drive offense. Um, I tweeted some of it out the other day because I think it's just fascinating. Um, it's like not the most complex um, by any means. Um, it's actually something that, you know, you can kind of see coming from a mile away, but when you're the more athletic team, uh, it's just so tough to guard. And it's just these like continuing onslaught of guys that just get like a quarter advantage on, on their defender driving into the paint and giving a downhill dribble handoff to another player who's already moving towards the paint. And just something I've lamented so much about Florida's offense is how they have all these non-threatening dribble handoffs where guys are going towards their own hoop or guys are coming off them so slowly. And um, it just accomplishes so little. Well, you know, go look at what I tweeted out or go look at what Kentucky does. And it's just like, they're, they're just so threatening with these dribble handoffs and it gets guys that are, um, already going towards the rim, giving a handoff to someone who's at full sprint going towards the rim. And because of the angle of that dribble handoff, the guy who's giving the dribble handoff kind of like rubs off the defender of the player who's about to receive the dribble handoff. So it's just a lot of like very difficult actions to guard, even though you see them coming. And I think Ty Ty Washington being, um, like you said, he's the um, kind of the typical Calipari player, just, you know, high level recruit, high level athlete, not as great of a shooter, uh, but super athletic. And uh, he's just like, whether it's him getting that initial advantage, driving the ball or um, whether it's him receiving it because they've, you know, got, you know, severe Wheeler who sometimes getting that initial drive. Um, he's just someone who just, you, you just watch the games and just, it just seems like every other offensive possession, he's just like barreling towards the rim with an advantage. And it's just, it, it's, it's just kind of one of those, like you see teams, it just looks futile trying to guard because again, it's like, you know, it's coming, but it's still so tough to guard. Yeah, and we hadn't even gotten into Severe Wheeler yet, who, um, you know, again, I think nice use of the portal by Calipari. Uh, they bring him in. He's another guy that can really get into the lane and bother people. He's a better defender than than he's uh, he was given credit for, I think, because he's so quick and active. Uh, and he, him and Tyree Appleby had some fun battles last year. I mean, um, you know, in one of those games, Severe Wheeler had 27 points um, and – uh, four assists, but you know, and only one turnover. Uh, that was the game in Gainesville. In the game in Athens, Appleby kind of got the better of him, although Wheeler still had 10 points and 10 assists for a double double. Uh, but Wheeler had six turnovers in that game. So I think, um, you know, Wheeler still sometimes turns the ball over a little bit because he will drive into traffic uh, and not necessarily know what he wants to do with the basketball. A lot of small guards have that issue but kind of gives them a dynamic change of pace uh, as well. Somebody that's a little bit of a different look uh, defensively than Ty Ty. Yeah. I think he's also averaging like seven assists per game, which is just crazy, um, especially on a team that's, you know, good, but not great shooting. And um, going back to Georgia really quick, I'll say that's one thing that Tom Crean has kind of had success with. He gets, you know, severe Wheeler to be a, an incredible assist man. And, and now Aaron cooks, there, averaging six per game for, for Georgia. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, severe Wheeler, yeah, like goes to Kentucky, not a team that's kind of traditionally had that kind of pure point guard. And even though they don't run like a ton of ball, they're not like the most ball screen heavy team or, or anything like that. Um, it's still something where Wheeler just piles on assists. Like so one thing they will run is, again, some of those kind of floppy actions like we've kind of wanted from Iron Jones and the Gators have started running. Um, they'll run Kellen Grady off those and um, having a pinpoint passer like uh, – um, like it's severe wheeler is pretty big. And um, it's also actually a little bit of a devastating play as well, because they'll have like Oscar Shibwe setting these kind of um, turnout pin downs for, for Kellen Grady. And um, then he just opens up to the ball. And because of where the screen has set, he's already like on the edge of the block. So um, if the, if there's like two guys that are committed to, to Grady for just a half second, um, he, 
Shibwe will slip and, and Wheeler will hit him in the hands and he'll just dunk it. And um, it's tough action to guard as well. But um, yeah, I think severe Wheeler, like you, you look at kind of earlier in the season where Kentucky fans were not like stoked with how their team was playing. Um, some of it was because, you know, severe Wheeler is a, a non-shooter, um, not as athletic as what they're kind of used to from, from their guards. But uh, again, I just think like he's a lot better than what they've kind of, what they thought at the time and they're starting to see it. And I think part of it is just, you know, these Kentucky fans are not used to having such a, you know, elite passing point guard, but um, it's, it just really helps them. And, and, and again, for a team that, that plays pretty fast and uses their athletes, like to have severe Wheeler um, with the ball in his hands, pushing it at five, nine and, and to be like such a good passer to, to hit ahead to Keon Brooks or, um, or Dante Allen or some of their athletic wings, like also a very good transition player. And that's something that's pretty important to them. Yeah, one thing that's really interesting and one thing that kept Vanderbilt in the game at Rupp Arena was that Kentucky normally is a – and Eric kind of alluded to this a little bit, but he didn't talk about fouls. Um, you know, this is a really efficient offense by Kentucky standards. I think they're fifth or sixth in the country in, in adjusted offensive efficiency in Kimpom. Uh, the number I wrote down was that they're 307th in foul rate. So they actually don't get to the foul line a ton, which is the opposite of almost every John Calipari team. Um, Florida's 31st in that category. So it's sort of like, which is second in the sec, the Gators get to the free throw line a lot. Um, and that's something that Vanderbilt's really good at is getting to the free throw line, mostly because of Scotty Pippen, but, um, you know, they, they were able to kind of stay with Kentucky a little bit by drawing fouls and Kentucky has a smaller rotation. They, they really only play six. They kind of play a seventh man. Um, but for the most part, I guess Jacob Toppin plays enough for them, for us to say they play seven, um, but that's it. They, they don't play eight. Um, you know, Dante Allen hasn't played in a while. Uh, they've got another big that doesn't really play much. Um, so, you know, I don't think they're going to play more than seven. Maybe Florida can get them into some foul trouble and kind of hang around that way. I think Oscar Chibwe is, is a lot of people's national or player of the year pick right now. Um, I certainly get that. It's pretty crazy what he's doing on the, on the glass and, and, and scoring efficiently. Um, one thing I do think that like I, the, the love, the love of him is, has gone a little bit too far is I think people see like, Oh, here's a physically imposing center and assume that he's like a plus player on the defensive end. And I'm not sure I would really say that for him. I think he's, I, well, I think he's a good player, probably a plus defender just because of his, his play at the rim and rim protection. Um, but really he's, he's a, he's, you know, he's six foot nine and 260 pounds. And uh, as you can imagine, that's not someone who's particularly built for moving his feet on the perimeter. So I, I do think some teams have gotten him gotten or gotten Kentucky in trouble by, by luring him out and, and making him switch. And um, also if he picks up fouls out there, um, Kentucky does not have a lot behind him. Like you said, like they've got Lance Ware, who would be their backup center. He's somebody that hasn't played a lot over the last two years. And uh, you can see just kind of with the on off numbers, like, like with Chibwe on the floor, like Kentucky's like, you know, is the, the best team in the country. I think that they're starting five is, as the best um, from a net rating standpoint, the best starting five um, in the country, um, which is again, pretty impressive because like, you know, Gonzaga plays in, in not as good of a league, but uh, um, Kentucky starting five still has, you know, playing SEC team still has a better net rating. Um, but with uh, with Shibway off the floor, um, they go very, like very quickly. They're like an average SEC team. And that's even too, when you look at their lineup, that's like their four regular starters plus Lance Ware instead of Shibway. Um, they become like, again, I'm not saying they are an average SEC, they would be an average SEC team in that setting. Um, but the numbers suggest that they would be a middle of the pack SEC team. So like, if the Gators can find a way to get Shibwe into, into foul trouble, um, uh, that would be a, that would definitely be one kind of pathway to victory. So um, would it be, you know, posting up Colin Castleton a ton and, and seeing if he can score like, you know, you know, maybe is it like trying to draw him out, see if he can uh, has to switch out on Tyree Appleby. You can attack his hip and, and maybe pick up some fouls away from away from the rim. Um, maybe, but if you know, you're, you're looking for something to watch for, it would be like, Hey, can, can the Gators find a way to get him in foul trouble, get Lance Ware in there. And, and suddenly you're not playing, you know, this Kentucky team, you're playing uh, you know, solid sec caliber team right yeah i mean you have to get them to have to play their eighth man i think um you know because they don't want to do that uh and against lsu they did uh, all those games are on the road though I mean, that's the thing about this is so complicated now mississippi state has a lot of bigs you know and maybe with jason detobo things would be a little different for florida and you might think the matchup is okay because florida could bang some bodies but 
it's going to be tough um, for the Gators to kind of match Kentucky's front court and cause those problems. Now Vanderbilt shot 25 free throws, free throws and hung in there with them. Um, Mississippi State shot 23 free throws, uh, hung in there with them. So I think Florida needs probably 20 free throw attempts to feel like they have a chance to kind of hang in the game. And then obviously got to dig down and collectively and collaboratively rebound against what I think even, you know, obviously mostly well, sort of because of Sheepway, but they're just generally a dominant rebounding team. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty interesting because it like, not to say it's just Sheepway, but when you look up and down the rest of their lineup, it's not that they're like super big and athletic. Like it's not the, kind of twin towers teams we've seen recently where they've had like two guys that are, you know, seven foot NBA prospects. Um, like it's a lot of Keon Brooks who's six foot seven and 210 pounds at, at the four and, you know, Kellen Grady, a six foot five shooter at, at, at the three. So it's again, like Chibwe is physically imposing, but, but past that, they're not like a big scary Kentucky team. So, um, you know, he deserves a lot of the credit, but uh, these other guys too, they, they, they rebound well and, and kind of, um, beyond their size, I would say. Um, so that's going to be something that like, well, I'll, I'll be interested to see if it's just Chibwe who's hurting them on the glass or, or what else happens. Um, one thing I wanted to mention just in terms of like, you, you mentioned they were playing those games on, on the road. Um, the Gator get to play this one on the road. Um, something that was very inspiring to me happened last night. Um, that could be the case or well, you know, that we can dream of as, as Gator fans. Um, so we know the Gators desperately need a big win to kind of, get them on the right side of the bubble. Um, this is an opportunity where you play at Rupp. It's like, hey, if you lose and you don't get, you know, absolutely hammered, um, it's not going to look bad on your resume, um, but you've kind of got everything to gain. And I don't know if people saw it last night, um, but uh, uh, Michigan, who was at home against Purdue, they weren't even on the road, but Purdue's obviously very good. Um, Michigan was 47th um, in Ken Palm. Um, which is kind of where the Gators are. The Gators are 51st. Um, yesterday, the Gators were 48th in the net. Michigan was 47th. Um, Michigan absolutely hammers Purdue. Um, they beat him by like 25. And Michigan goes all the way up to 26th in Ken Palm. And they go from 47th in the net to 30th in the net. And I think that's, you know, something we've kind of talked about. There's no official cutoff, that's for sure, about like where you need to be at in the net rating to be comfortably an at-large team. But just looking at... The last couple of years since the net was implemented, um, kind of the highest power five teams um, to make it as an at large were like 31, 32, 33, 34. Like those were like the lowest net teams to still make it as uh, as an at large. Well, right now the Gators are 47th. They took Michigan's spot after Michigan <laughs> moved up a bunch. Um, but it kind of showed that if the Gators were to win and, and win somewhat convincingly, um, you know, they'd have to win by, you know, 20 or 25 to make the Michigan jump or something like that. Um, but if the Gators do win and they win by a couple of possessions, you could see them go from 47th to, you know, maybe 37th and that puts them in a far better position. So kind of a game where um, they've got everything to gain and, and nothing really to lose. And it was nice to see Michigan put an inspiring effort that maybe shows the Gators just uh, how quickly the resume could flip if they were to uh, have some magic on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida's got, uh, you know, we've talked about the stretch run of this schedule, but these four games are all going to be, uh, at, at a minimum, it's three quad one opportunities and, and a quad two. So, um, you know, winning any of these games would be really huge for Florida, but if they could grab one on the road um, of this caliber, you know, I think they'd feel really, really good about their chances of going to the NCAA tournament, um, so long as there's not a loss in Athens, uh, which, to be quite honest, seems distinctly possible the way that Georgia's improving, or a loss at Vanderbilt, which is a gym where pretty much anything can happen. Um, so, you know, it's not like Florida gets out of this four-game stretch and is home free. Those aren't automatics at the end of the, at the end of the schedule. But these are the last four regular season opportunities that the Gators are going to have, and they need to take advantage of some of them. Yeah, and again, not to not to call out anyone's uh, you know broadcasting kind of recently for the Gators, but like, man, some of the the misinformation regarding bracketology and the selection process has been uh, pretty egregious on a couple of the Florida's last games in terms of like 
oh, like the, the league or, you know, the, the committee will take the top seven SEC teams, which has just never been the case. It's not like, hey, you see how how many leagues does this team deserve? And then you take one to seven or this <laughs> right. record in the But so that, that's really not the case. Like you, you you've really got to look at these these net numbers. Um, that's the biggest one. You can look at some of the uh, some of the computer numbers like Ken Palm as well. But like um, really, it's like they don't they don't look at league record. They don't look at anything like that. It, it's it's the net. So um, I've been pretty interested looking at kind of the jumps and falls that some of these uh, these kind of similar teams have made. Um, so that's pretty big. So I think you you definitely look at uh, you look at a game like at uh, um, at Georgia, like you said, can, looking at what we just saw, where it took maybe a miraculous Myron Jones game to 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 not have this one you know come down to the buzzer. Um, that's pretty big Vanderbilt as well. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, it is one of those things where it's like, you know, does beating Kentucky on the road erase Texas Southern? I would say no, especially looking at a lot of the other, like, like, you know, the Gators are one in five in quad one games. I think right now you look at the other teams that are kind of in the mix. Um, a lot of them have more quadrant one wins than the Gators and none of them have quadrant four losses. So like does one quadrant win, you know, elite quadrant one win um, change all of that. Um, probably not all of it, but, but a big chunk of it. But um, I, I, I think this is just really fun. Like for Florida fans, like I'm really excited for Saturday. Cause again, it's, it's, it's stressful to go play a, uh, play Ole Miss in overtime where you know that that yeah. loss might keep you out of the NCAA tournament. It's fun when you go to Rupp and you know, like, Hey, if the Gators lose by eight or whatever, that's going to keep them like probably exact. That probably won't move the needle at all. That's probably going to keep them right where they are. Um, but if you win, it'll, you know, change everything. So it's kind of fun to, to have a little bit of a, uh, you know, playing with house money kind of game. Oh, absolutely. That's a great point, Eric. And you know, uh, I mean, it's a quad two game for Kentucky too. They're playing pretty significantly. I think at this point for seeding, um, they have maybe the best win in the country, right? With the win at Kansas. Um, but what was so interesting about their SEC Big 12 Challenge win was, I mean, and John Calipari, who always says things, I don't think he ever says anything to the media that he hasn't thought entirely through. But like for him to say, well, this is our first quality out of conference win um, <laughs> after they beat Kansas. So I kind of was like, is he serious? And then I looked at their schedule and I'm like, man, like, Maybe that was sort of a backhanded shot at North Carolina, who they just blew out on a neutral floor. But he's kind of right. Like, they didn't beat anybody in the non-conference. They pretty much lost everybody that they played that would have been a quality victory. So I'm sure they're looking forward to a quad two opportunity before they head to Knoxville and play, to Eric's point, with house money for them, too, uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, maybe this will be a off-season discussion, but I think we can all remember the time where um, we hear that the Gators played a tight game. You know, still maybe some contested information, but play a tight uh, contested game with North Carolina in a scrimmage, and we're all kind of like, "Oh, that's awesome! Like, that's great to hear." And now you see that you know North Carolina's not as good as we thought, and probably the Gators aren't quite as good as we thought. But um, I don't know where I forget where North Carolina is right now in the net, but I could also see um, them playing North Carolina on a neutral floor. Like I think that that, that could be a quadrant two as well. So they might be like, you know, objectively speaking that that could have been their first yeah, quadrant one. Yeah. Their first quadrant one uh, not conference win. So, um, but Hey, I'm sure if they want to, you know, throwing shade at North Carolina, that's, that's, that's funny too. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think that beating Kansas by 18 on the road, that might be the biggest win. Like I know it's like, I guess like Alabama beat Gonzaga on the, the road. I, I, if I remember, and, but I, it you know, was wasn't. sort of semi, uh, semi away. Cause it was oh, in, right, right. Uh, Portland. Right. All right. So, and, and of course that the, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an 18 point game. So that could very well like to, yeah. to win in that fashion. Um, in, you know, in Kansas where, where nobody wins, that's, that's pretty impressive. But, uh, uh, that's it's always it's always interesting to hear Calipari's things like I I you know sometimes cringe but I sometimes find things like it's <laughs> like like you said I think he chooses his words pretty carefully so yeah I'll take that as a, a bit of a shot at North Carolina yeah so I mean uh I you know huge opportunity for Florida um Saturday at Rupp Arena it's a two-game swing Florida will not return home my understanding is um they will I think they'll stay in Lexington overnight and then go to college station and practice is, is my understanding. Um, and Mike Coyne has done that occasionally. Uh, one of the things he's been good at is grabbing road wins in conference play. So they, they trust their formula. Um, and I think in this four game stretch, even though that's going to be a quad two game now, um, I think almost certainly will not move up to a quad one game for Florida. Uh, 
a tremendous opportunity on the back end of this. So an, a very important little trip where a one and one record makes you feel a lot better about where the Gators would be. Yeah. And luckily Texas A&M um, ended up being uh, a little bit better. I would say than than a lot of us kind of expected. I, I forget what they're on the net, but they're 75th in Ken Palm and that's after losing um, a whole lot of sec games in a row, but still like that, that kind of game. Um, is going to turn out being a better one than, than we probably would have thought. We probably thought that would have been in the tier of like Ole Miss and, and Georgia. And that's not the case. Another chance for, um, for a big win. So, uh, and, and, you know, that gets into a little bit of the murkier where it's like, okay, like obviously losing to Kentucky on the road, that doesn't tank your resume. Um, you know, I don't think losing on the road to Texas A&M, that doesn't hurt you at all. But again, that's another one of those games. That's like, kind of like, you know, playing against Oklahoma state. It's like, okay, like, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, in a vacuum or even resume wise, it's, it's not something that's like looks bad or is going to hurt you, but like they've kind of put themselves in a position where those are the like, you know, 50, 50 games that they've got to be on the right side of if they want to have um, kind of a, a chance at, and not, you know, really sweating it out on selection Sunday. Yeah. I mean, it's a quad two game, so it's going to be a nice resume game, but they're also going to be playing a team that's lost eight in a row. Right. Cause I mean, unless Texas A&M wins at Auburn, on Saturday night, uh, which, you know, if you think that's going to happen, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn, I can sell you. Uh, but you know, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, it seems like that Texas A&M game is kind of just a super important opportunity for Florida because it's a quad two game. Um, and like all that stuff helps Florida. But like you said, house money Saturday, uh, Alec Castleton has done well in these marquee matchups with opposing bigs and played well against uh, Walker Kessler. Like the one guy that kind of gave him problems was Nizier Brooks. Yeah. Wouldn't you have, uh, wouldn't have expected that. And yeah, against, you know, I think Braylon Bridges is, is pretty good. And yeah, uh, Castleton did that one, handled that one well. So um, yeah, I think the, the time has come, Neil, I think I'm going to ask you. So I'll say over under on offensive rebounds for Oscar Shibwe. Um, he averages five per game. I'll, I'll set the, I'll set, I'll set it. At, I, you know, I said six before, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go six and a half and, and make it a little bit more difficult for you. Um, so that's, that's the number over under six and a half offensive rebounds for Oscar Shibwe. So I'm going to go with the over. I think he gets seven. I, you could say any number and it's, it's, it's feasible. Um, for sure. Again, like it's just, um, I, I think I, I forget what it is now. I just wrote it in, uh, in my preview, but like his, his individual offensive rebounding number is better than like six teams, um, on the whole. So he is just truly an offensive rebounding machine. And, um, I, I think it also just might matter, like how many of those, like, is it going to be a situation where the Gators can have Castleton out there for every single minute that Chibwe is out there? Um, or is it like, you know, any foul trouble? Like, it's it's going to be concerning. And I am very interested to see, too, um, if they do get situations where it's Chibwe on the floor and Castleton off the floor. Uh, the last couple of games, it's been Anthony DeRuji, um playing the five. Um, obviously, a couple of games before that, it was it would be a gat kick. Um, and Felder is not really in the mix, but maybe this is the time where they're like, okay, we just need the most physical biggest guy we can to hang in there. Um, I'll be pretty interested, but uh, yeah, the Gators are getting pounded with either of those guys at the five, um, Daruji or, uh, or Gakik. So, uh, that could be, that could be pretty concerning if, if the Gators get themselves in that situation. Yeah. Just not looking forward to any two on Gakik, Sheboy moments. Um, you know, I just don't think that you want any of those it really would behoove, uh, Florida to, to try CJ Felder in those situations just because of girth and strength. Um, two on Gakik is not ready for the Oscar Shibwe experience. Uh, but that's our show. We appreciate all of you uh, tuning in. We will be back um, after the game at Rupp to preview the Texas A&M Aggies and uh, Buzz Williams just struggling to get it going down in College Station. So go Gators, keep attacking closeouts.